Hey folks, this is Nathan from 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade. If you'd like to help support our podcast, there's a few ways you can go about doing so. First, you can get some cool rewards by supporting us at patreon.com slash 25 years of vampire the masquerade. Check out our website at utilitymuffinlabs.com. We now have a shop where you can get your very own Utility Muffin Lab sticker or pick up a cool shirt from our Tee Public shop. That's tpublic.com slash utilitymuffinlabs. If you want to send us comments or you are a content creator who'd like to be on one of our podcasts, send us an email to nathan at utilitymuffinlabs.com. Finally, you can send me actual physical letters to P.O. Box 30332 Indianapolis, Indiana 46230. We will be at Gen Con this August as well, so keep listening for more details as they become available. Thank you for supporting Utility Muffin Labs. We are consistently rated adequate. is 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade, a retrospective podcast brought to you by UtilityMuffinLabs.com. Welcome to another episode of 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade. I'm Nathan. And I'm Bob. And I am tired. But anyways, doesn't matter. We're here to give you part two of the kindred of the ebony kingdom uh source book uh full supplement book um it's like a core book part two um so anyways before we get into part two of this i just want to go over some things that are going on in the uh 25 years world um coming up here in the next couple of weeks as time is rapidly uh traveling and passing us by um the first thing that I wanted to talk about is our meetup, right? So the meetup that we're having at Gen Con is going to be Thursday, August 2nd. And uh, for those of you who are unfamiliar with Indy, it's, um, it's actually really close to the convention center. It's like a mile walk, um, which for some, you know, some people don't want to walk that far, but like you can get, you can get, uh, you know, an Uber or a Lyft or something like that. And it's like an eight minute drive. It's really, really super close. And it's a, it's like a one mile straight walk down one road, essentially. Um, so we're doing that. Bob and I are going to be hanging out, just meeting up with people who are interested in talking to us in um, just kind of talking about what's going on and all that stuff. Um, so anyways, the there is an event on eventbrite.com and um i'd love to give you a short good link but i don't have one so <laughs> <laughs> um just just go on our twitter go on our facebook basically all of our social media stuff has it um you can probably search eventbrite but i don't really have a strategy to help you with that um, you want to just, um, look for our meetup. It's totally free. It's at Voluta Tattoo in Indianapolis, uh, downtown Indy. And, uh, again, it's going to be Thursday, August 2nd from two to 4 PM. So hopefully it doesn't, uh, interfere with any of your events that you have planned for Gen Con. The reason why we're having people get tickets is because we're going to be in an indoor place. We need to make sure, you know, 
we don't have like a Build-A-Bear situation on our hands. Come and uh, hang out with us at our meetup, but please, if you could, sign up and get a ticket because if you show up and you're not on the list, we're probably not going to let you in because um, we only have so much space to go around. We're in a pretty big area, but it's a fire safety issue. So check that out. Go on our Facebook, go on our website, our Twitter. I have them pinned all over the place. Um, we're just going to hang out, talk, you know, do whatever, um, have some snacks, some drinks. So if nothing else, if you're at Gen Con and you're like, man, I could really use a snack, come and hang out with us. Number two, what we have coming up, um, Bob, what do we have coming up in the, in the, on the horizon here for our podcast? For our podcast, are you talking about the event? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So what we're doing is we got two weeks. We're going to be taking off after today to buckle down and review some uh, interesting Easter egg books that we had planned a, a specific way to deliver them, but also so we can give the V5 preview its due review, a right. real deep dive, in-depth way of how to present it, make it entertaining and exciting for everybody. And of course, it'd be engaging to us back there with questions in our next meetup or on Discord, Twitter, um, Facebook, any way you can reach out to us to talk about the book. Right, right. I think... Um what we want to do, you know, with this being a brand new version of the book, um, we really want to give it the attention that it deserves and read through it and digest it. And, um, you know, one thing that is of a, is a little bit of a minor concern for me. Um, but you know, not overwhelming, I'm not freaking out about it, but a little minor concern is I don't, I don't want to fanboy out, right? I want to read this book and I want to read it objectively and give a genuine review of what we think about it, right? I don't want to just read this book from the perspective of like, you know, oh God, it's a new book. So it's amazing. It's automatically great. Like I want to, I want to give it a critical glance, but I also want to give it a critical glance from the comparison of what's already been put out, what, what already exists. I want to see, you know, of course, are the changes good? Are they like changes that looking at them, were they necessary? Where has the plot evolved from? But anyways, that's... Well, we kind of got, we kind of got a big insight to that, right? Right. It's Beckett's Jihad Diary already told us what's going to be the launch pad for it. Right, right. And, and, and well, you know, my thing very specifically is I want to look at it critically, but also I want to look at it within the context of what's already been presented, you know? Is it as good? Is it better? Is it worse? And then why? You know, what what makes it what it is? And really look at it from the perspective of the the whole of the game, not just, you know, one piece of material. Because uh, having looked at it, you know, um, there are some things like I might have gripes with, and that's okay. Like you, you can have gripes with, with something that you enjoy. But anyways... Um, to get to the point, to get to the meat and potatoes of it, uh, Bob and I are not going to be putting out a podcast next week. And in fact, we're going to have like a, uh, all quiet. We're going to have like a, you know, not, we're not going to be putting out anything for the next couple of weeks because I think it behooves us as reviewers of White Wolf, specifically Vampire the Masquerade material, it behooves us to dedicate our time and effort towards that, right? It's a new book. It's, but it's not just like a new piece of fictional gameplay material. It is an entire new uh, version of the game. And um, yeah, it's going to, we got to read it. 
We have to, we have to digest it. We have to play it. We have to know how does this play to give you guys the review. So, um, after that's done, then we're going to, we're going to get back, back into it. Um, we, but Bob had mentioned sort of on the, uh, the very beginning of that, the little Easter egg reviews. So I want to touch base on that for a moment, but not get too deep into it because I, I do like a discerning reader or a discerning listener may go, there's some things that I remember, but I don't, I don't remember them doing a review on. Yeah, maybe that's it. So anyways, we'll leave you to it. Solve the puzzle yourself. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, let's just get right into it then, shall we, Bob? Yes, sounds fantastic. I do believe in Ebony Kingdoms, we had talked a bunch about Origin, who's involved, live on their place, and we had started talking about how they're pretty much, they're, they're still the kindred you know. Right. Right. So Western Kindred based, except, except I think, I feel that this is the middle ground between the, the typical Kindred and the jump to Kindred of the East. Right. And that's because we can talk about their virtues, right. Or their, their, their humanity, which isn't humanity, right. They have a very different system of crunch and way to look at it. And, uh, that's the Orun. And, uh, the last one I'm going to butcher it's heaven and earth, but it's it's called a rune and something else a? that uh, say it again. A, yeah, saying? that works. Mm-hmm. I, it's a i i a i a. a yeah, I'm exotic. not really sure. Um, I'm not a smart person, so I, I just <laughs> look at the letters and try to make them into something that makes sense to me. <laughs> it's it's always complex when you don't speak the the language there. Uh, I a I think is is the actual pronunciation of it. I like how you did. I didn't even think of that, but that sounds better off the tongue. And Orun is um, is how I heard something pronounced a long time ago in a documentary. So if it's wrong, so it's National Geographic. So uh, <laughs> I is there. Uh, but it's uh, heaven and earth is what it stands for. And what those two things mean uh, that you're going to care anything about is the fact that the Liban view everything from these two virtues slash paths. They get two of them. They don't get one. And they have to have a balance. So what that means is everybody gets every live bond has 10 points that's somehow going to be divided amongst heaven and earth. Earth, you would know as humanity. Literally, the hierarchy of sin seems to be exactly what humanity is. However, they don't view it as that. For where we're mortals, we're mortals. We're uh, your typical Western kindred view, sort of like battling the beast until inevitable fall to a sail. They view it as a spiritual thing. That you're not falling to your beast as much as you're giving yourself up to the supernatural element of what you are. And that's what it is. And Arun is everything under heaven, right? Heaven is what it is. Mm-hmm. And not like we think. Again, a little weird. But going through here, it's even hard to explain. They even say in the book, it's hard for Livon to explain this to somebody else. So I just want to defend myself there. But Arun is a combination of the spirituality, whether it be good or evil, if, if such terms matter. Um, that's the sort of, a, sort of a Western thinking as well. Um, they don't see a good or evil. It's how you are is how you are. And uh, you could definitely be dark. Could definitely be not for the community, which could be considered bad or evil. Um, but ultimately, you are a supernatural force. That's what you follow under heaven. Too much heaven, you actually physically look like a beast. You become monstrous. You look monstrous, appear monstrous. What you do is horrific, horrible. You become reclusive. Things that humans do don't matter to you. And you may think that's what sale. It actually isn't. For them, it's just you view mutals as, uh, mutals. You view mortals as food. And you would just encounter them to feed on them and then move on. 
and you become calcified in your belief then, which means you're of no help to the community anyway. Most live on would hunt down someone too far gone that path, hunt them down because they're a drain where they're at. Now, too much IA, which is Earth, too human, you actually are weaker because you you are not paying attention at all to your spirituality, which is unique to, to the Ebony Kingdom of Vampires alone. So, and what that means is you cannot, uh, for everyone, this is the crunch they put to it, uh, but this is to help it make more sense. You cannot roll a discipline roll higher than your IA. Or, excuse me, um, yes, your IA, period. Your uh, sore, I had to use the wrong term, heaven, Arun, sorry, those two. <laughs> no, uh, okay. You cannot roll more dice for discipline roll higher than your Arun. And that's the heaven side. That's because that's the supernatural half of you. So if you're too high in IA, you have a really low score to do, which means you're not in touch with what makes you a vampire. You're great for blending in. You're great for all the things that make you human. Sounds wonderful, except uh, you're not uh, at all a benefit to the community as Liban see it. Because if you're too weak, you're not strong enough to handle what they need to defend the land that they have. Your Magaji orders your death or just does away with you. You know, you're booted off your land and how are you going to live if you can't at least defend yourself? And that's the mentality. So the goal is a balance between the two. And of course, they talk about the vaunted state. It's not Golconda. I found this unique. Mm -hmm. It is possible that when you get really, really old, they talk about ancient Liban, they can go beyond a score of 10, having to balance 10 points and get even more. And so you can have a 10 and 10 in theory. These would be their antediluvian type people. These are people who have immense power. They don't have, uh, they don't have any constraints and they look perfectly human but would feel bestial. Their spiritual strength is something that hits you first. And they, re they refer to Kagan, or as Nate pronounces it, and I think he might be right, Cain, uh, their alternate spelling of Cain. <laughs> right. C-A-G-N. Right. I, I don't, yeah, I don't actually know um, what the the appropriate way to pronounce that is, because um, that's not, like, that's not a word that exists in my lexicon. But I was like, okay, it's C-A-G-N. It's either Kagan or Cain. Uh, and I don't, I don't think that it matters from the perspective of how you run it at your table, you know, call it however you want. But, uh, yeah, it, it's, uh, I looked at it and I just was like, that's, that's just Kane, C-A-G-N, Kane. <laughs> but, but, you know, I have to, I have to remember, um, and we encounter this a lot in this podcast where, um, linguistically English is a lot different than everything else in the world. And there's just sounds that we don't make with our mouth. We just don't. We don't know how. <laughs> I, I bow to that. There's there's no way to dance around that whatsoever. It's going to be what it is. Um, so there was one other point. I kind of want to put you on a spot, Nate. Yeah. Um, you have the better voice for it. I bow to it. I thought to give a true flavor of this book and the culture of the Liban, um, is it too much to ask you to read the story of Coggin? <laughs> that they have there <laughs> no it's not it's not too much um but i want you to know that Coggin or kane is kind of a douchebag and um like kind of a douchebag in ways that the western version of kane never really could be in, in defense he does have a brother seems pretty cool yeah 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 his brother you know i don't know man he got the short end of the stick no no pun intended there we do not really mean, we do not really mean that what we are going to say is true. A woman of the early race gave birth to two sons after a long labor. The first she named Kagan, the other, or Cain, the other, Nakadi. 
Both sons were born in possession of a valuable fetish, and because of this, they were full grown from the moment they entered the world. So both of her sons were full ass men when they entered the world. So that's an interesting thing to remember. Um, that was something that I thought was very, very entertaining. Let me find your place real quick. Remember, this is storytelling fashion. Right. So what I enjoy about this, this isn't, this isn't like just reciting a tale of what occurred. This story can teach morals, which is the point, or teach you about a people. So the whole aspect of children being born as men is for the benefit of the listeners. Right. So there's, she understands they're as men, they think as men, they act as men. That's what they are. They're full grown. Cain, being the elder, immediately announced his, his desire to undertake a long journey. Although his mother and brother objected, fearfully as they were for his safety, Cain would brook no argument and quickly departed. At about the same time, the daughter of the son had reached the age to marry. The girl, Dossie by name, was pretty and wise. And no sooner had she announced her interest in finding a husband that Leopard came forward. I will be husband to your daughter, Leopard announced to the son. And the son replied, you must speak to her yourself for she will marry only the man of her choice. Leopard did so, but Dossie refused him. Then, Real Elan- quick, yes. one, one second, I apologize. Uh, leopard's significance. Uh, actually, it's in the book, too. Um, leopard is seen as a very attractive and good-looking traits that one can have and to emulate as a spirit to follow. So that's why it's the very first, and as we'll learn, why is he the only animal mentioned, but... They do mean leopard as an animal. Then land and blue jay and tortoise and all the other created things that had breath came forward and asked Dossie to marry. But Dossie turned them all down, telling each one in turn that she cared for him, but not enough to be his wife. Meanwhile, Cain had traveled a long way down the road that led from his mother's village. As he walked, he used his fetish to create the things he needed for his journey. He picked a blade of grass and with the fetish transformed it into a spear. He picked a second blade of grass and transformed it into a cloak he picked a third blade of grass and transformed it into a knife and so on until he had everything he needed to survive. After many days of travel, Cain came to the sun's town. He was there not an hour before Dassie saw him from afar, and as soon as she set eyes upon him, she fell in love. She ran then to her father, the son, and said, I have seen the man I am meant to marry. I shall die of sadness if we are not together. Then Cain, who had learned of Dossie's beauty and wisdom from all the dejected suitors, sought out the son and said to him, I will be husband to your daughter. And just as he had with Leopard and Aland and the rest, the son told Cain, You must speak to her yourself, for she will only marry the man of her choice. When Dossie saw Cain come to speak with her, she ran toward him. Seeing Dossie's beauty and the light of wisdom in her eyes, Cain ran towards her. They knew that they loved one another without needing to say a word. Immediately they embraced and were married soon after. And the entire town danced and celebrated. Cain and the daughter of the sun entered the largest hut and slept there. When he awoke, Cain noticed for the first time that mirrors crowded the hut. Ten of them lined the walls, each one covered with a heavy piece of white cloth, and he asked Dossie to remove the cloth, so that he might see himself. She uncovered the first, stepping aside without a word to let Cain gaze into the glass, but when Cain looked into it, he did not see his reflection. Instead, he saw a perfect, vivid image of his mother's village. Then, the daughter of the sun uncovered all the mirrors but one, and when Cain looked into each, he saw a different village or town. Some were familiar to him from his travels. Others were not. Each of your sons will rule over one of these nine places, Dossie explained. Cain stood before the tenth mirror, still covered by its white cloth. And what does this show, he asked. The place that all men know, but from which none ever returns, said the daughter of the sun, trembling with fright. I cannot let you see it, for you will want to go there. I think we know where this is going. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, there's a place I can't see? I really want to see it. 
Cain urged her to let him view the image in the final mirror, and at last she bowed her head and drew aside the cloth. Cain did not tremble at the sight of the image. Instead, he stared in wonder. Then he puffed out his chest. I know this place, he said. I will prove that a man may journey there and return. I am bold and quick-witted besides. My fetish will protect me. Although his wife objected, fearful as she was for his safety, Cain would brook no argument and quickly departed. So Cain's kind of a dummy. I think that's that's what we're understanding here. Cain's he's very vain and very prideful. Yeah, yeah. He's, uh, he's kind of a douche. So, he traveled for days upon end, until he came at last to the place that he had seen in the final mirror at the outskirts of the city stood a magnificently clear watering hole, and no one could pass it without pausing to drink. And as Cain did so, for his journey had been long and difficult, Lion sprang from the bush at the pool's edge. He pounced upon Cain and locked his jaws around him, just as he did with every traveler who stopped to drink at the watering hole. Cain reached for his fetish, but failed to grasp it. He reached for his spear and his knife, but failed to grasp them too. And each time the man struggled, Lion clamped his jaws closed more tightly, until finally he tore Cain apart. Then Lion settled down at the water's edge to feast upon his prize, until nothing but bones were left. Nakati wondered at the long absence of his brother. He announced to his mother his intention to take a long journey to find Cain, and though she was sad, she recognized the reason he must leave, so it was with his mother's blessing that Nakati left the village. As he made his way down the road, he used his fetish to create the things he needed for his journey. Nakati picked a blade of grass, and with the fetish, transformed it into a spear. He picked a second blade of grass and transformed it into a cloak. He picked a third blade of grass and transformed it into a knife and so on, until he had everything he needed to survive. After many days of travel, Nakati came to the sun's town. He was there not an hour before Dassey saw him from afar, and as soon as she set eyes upon him, she rushed forward to embrace him. Cain, she cried, my dearest husband, you have returned. Nakati greeted his sister-in-law respectfully, but would not embrace her. I'm not Cain, I'm his brother. Then the son heard that someone had come to his town. When he saw Nakati, he rushed forward to embrace him. Cain, he cried, my dear son-in-law, you have returned. Nakati greeted the son respectfully, but noted, I'm not Cain, I am his brother. The son and his daughter did not seem to hear his words. So great was their joy at the return of the one they thought lost them forever. As the entire town danced and celebrated, Nakati and Dasi were led to the largest hut. Dasi again tried to embrace Nakati, and again he refused. The situation troubled Nakati greatly, for he did not wish to dishonor his brother, and yet he could not make Dasi see that he was not her husband. Finally, he called upon his fetish, using the power of the valuable charm. He moved the sleeping Dasi to another room for the night so that no shame would fall upon them when the truth of his identity was finally known. When he woke, Nakati noticed for the first time that the mirrors crowded the hut. Ten of them still lined the walls, each one again covered with a heavy piece of white cloth. As she had with Cain, Dasi revealed all the mirrors, save one. When Nakati looked into the glass of the first nine, he saw nothing. No towns and no villages, but when he finally persuaded Dasi to draw aside the cloth on the tenth mirror, Nakati saw the place that all men knew, but from which none ever returns. Trembling at the sight, Nakati said, I do not wish to go there, but I will make the journey. My brother must be trapped in that terrible place. I will not leave him to his fate. He traveled for days upon end until he came at last to the place he had seen in the final mirror he saw. The magnificently clear watering hole, and as all travelers must, he paused to drink, then Lion pounced upon Nakati and locked his jaws around him. But Nakati did not reach for his fetish. He did not reach for the spear or his knife. He did not struggle at all against the implacable jaws of the lion. And Lion mistook the still figure in his mouth for something already dead and not worth eating. So he carried Nakati around the watering hole and left him on the other side among the bones of those who had been foolish enough to think that they could escape Lion by force once he had his teeth on them. Nakati lay still waiting for Lion to leave. When Lion had disappeared back into the bush at the pool's edge, he rose up 
and began to search the bones. He soon found Kane's fetish among the remains of a man. A thankful smile on his face, Nakati touched his own fetish to Kane's, and that combined power of the two valuable charms brought Kane back to life. So, Kane's brother went and found him and brought him back to life with his fetish. Which Kept is, his honor, didn't sleep with his wife. Right. Didn't claim not to be who he was. So Kane's yeah. brother, kind of a kind of a badass, kind of awesome. Nakati gave his brother his cloak and half of all he possessed. Then he said, we must hurry. The emptiness in his belly will warn Lion that I have returned the flesh to your bones. Which is crazy to think about. Like, I brought you back to life, but straight stole the meat from that lion. That's... Right. Like, it's just it's not in him anymore. Right. <laughs> Kane would brook no argument, and he would not be hurried. I thank you, brother, for rescuing me, but I will not leave this place without something to show for my troubles. Man, Kane is a dummy. More than a dummy. <laughs> <laughs> no argument would sway Kane from his course, and so he took up both fetishes and touched them to the bones of nine men who had lain around him one by one. The flesh returned to the bones, and they rose up. Only then, after the nine retainers had sworn themselves to be his sons to Kane, did the two brothers and Kane's followers leave the terrible place because he faced the road approaching the city. Lion did not see them until they had already passed around the watering hole and escaped. After many days of travel, the brothers and those who were to be sworn to be as Cain's sons came to the son's town. Seeing Nakati now next to her husband, Dasi recognized her mistake and thanked her brother-in-law for protecting her honor. The son, too, marveled at Nakati's bravery and his devotion to his kin. He spoke many words in Nakati's favor, and the entire town danced and celebrated his heroism. The son's people, by their celebration, meant to show their joy for Cain's return. But the elder brother felt slighted. He left the feast early and returned to the largest hut, where he grumbled to his nine followers about the insults heaped upon him by everyone in the town. The nine retainers, who had sworn themselves to be a son to Cain, shared their father's wrath. They felt each slight he described as if they were thorns pressed into their own heels. They were reciting these imagined injuries for the third time when Nakati burst into the hut. He rushed to his brother and said, Lion has come to the son's town in search of you. Over the commotion, now sounding outside the hut, Cain and his retainers heard the voice of Lion call out, I will not depart until my hunger is sated. Bring me the meat that was stolen from me. We will not return to the terrible place, the retainers cried, and Cain heard their words. He too feared the place that all men know, but from which none ever returns. Finally, Cain faced his brother and said, We will fight. Nakati shook his head. If we defy Lion, he will vent his wrath upon everyone in the town. He has become like the all-devourer. Go along with Lion now, and we will find a way to rescue you again. But Cain would brook no argument, and he refused to go out of the hut to face Lion. When Nakati insisted, Cain drew forth his fetish and struck a killing blow. Nakati fell down dead, the broken fetish in pieces around him. Then Cain took his brother's fetish for his own and ordered his nine followers to bundle up the body in a cloak. This they did. At last, Cain shoved Nakati's corpse out of the hut. As he did so, he called, Here's your meat, lion, return to you. All right, so um, Cain's a fucking asshole. <laughs> and he made the first burrito. Right. Right. Well, I'm uh, I'm going to let you guys finish reading this, but I think we can all understand where this goes. Cain and his nine r- resurrected assholes killed his brother and his brother like basically did everything. Protected his honor, you know, didn't sleep with his wife, which shouldn't be like a huge issue, but obvious. Um and then saved him, resurrected him from the dead and was like, "All right, let's get out of here. Like you're alive. It's all good." And Cain was like, "Nah." And then finally, Cain was so full of spite and jealousy and was so childish, he was just like, I'm going to kill you. Kills his brother. And then, well, you know, everybody else reacted how you would expect, right? How would you expect 
anyone else to the son and the son's daughter how would you expect them to react they were like fuck you you're cursed carry on well lion's the one who cursed them right right that's straight up what happens it's like you're you're here and and now we're all gonna we're all gonna curse you right right it's just like what you did you're a coward you're you're this debased guy and the interesting thing is it keeps hammering home some elements here that are kind of interesting right Mm -hmm. fresh out the womb they're twins they're full grown they're both giving these ultra powerful fetishes only one's wise to heed the wisdom the other one jumps forward and figures it out and that's that and that's that old adage that power corrupts you know a true test of a person is to make them powerful and see what they do with it right and you get night and day and all that in there but also relating to the libon it talks about the the libon period they're different legacies you know there's like a cautionary tale to it or a different origin story right that right. one can clearly see so yeah i mean it's it's the, the obvious um similarities between like the story of cain and abel are there but i feel like this the the story of cain and abel to me is a, a much more basic concept right but this this tells of a of a like a long set of deeds, um, whereas with Cain and Abel, to me it's kind of just like, well, you liked his his offering better, so I'll just kill him and give to you God. That just to me that indicates like a lack of understanding. Like we're these very simple entities, we're very simple human beings, and we don't really understand what it is that you want. So I'm going to give you what I think you want, which is my brother. And so I'm going to strike him down. And then it kind of paints God as like this petulant, like childish kind of, you know, caught like putting curses on him because he didn't understand. Whereas with Cain or Coggin in this story, in the origin story for the Ebony Kingdom, um, it just makes the Cain character just look like um prideful boastful unwilling to listen to to anyone's different opinion like it it paints the Kane character as a much less sympathetic uh originator of of the 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 vampires it makes him look like more of a douche <laughs> it reminds me of uh like you can see the the different legacies here right in the story right like lion is the gurhuri right Lines there, it's his land, what he's, you know, of the place that no men can return from type thing. Right. But that's like a Magaji sitting on their, their terrain. You know, you come here, I might eat you, I might not. Depends on what you do here and whatever that is. But when you take from him, he he, he seeks you out. Lion will come and kill you. Right. He will get back what you have stolen. Very interesting relationship because the Garuri have the same uh, vengeance method. What's ours is ours. Then you have the uh, other one I'll enjoy. Uh, Kane himself reminds me of the Z Dundun, which is their La Sombra. Right. A lot of traits. Bold, impetuous, is going to go forward. He's going to get what he wants. And, you know, of course it's, he's due. Of course he is. And when push comes to shove, it's better to kill his brother than not, which goes against everything the Liaban hold dear as well as the African culture. It's it's me and my brother uh, against my cousin. It's me and my cousin against everyone else. Right. It's an old proverb they have, and that's that's how it is. So it's definitely hammering home a lot in one story yeah yeah um so that's that's a long read but um it's only long because i'm reading it out loud but um yeah uh the other thing too um we start to move on beyond like just the origin stories of them and we kind of talked about the different uh the legacies and everything uh last podcast but uh, because it's a completely new source book 
Um, it, it draws from the old books, but it also has a bunch of new stuff in here. One of which I thought was very interesting was that, um, the, the character creation starts at 14th generation. Right. So that indicates to me that even more so than the, uh, the Western, you know, the kindred, the standard kindred character creation, it shows that they're even more embroiled in the 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 time of thin blood. Like they're th- that was the one thing that struck me about this. We we always talk about in like the kindred society and Camarilla society, you know, the divide between the the neonates and the ancilla and the elders. Here it's even more divided. Wouldn't wouldn't you agree? I actually took it as uh, whenever I see that, just like with anarchs mm-hmm. having a higher gen. I mean, can have access to it. It's the strictures of the camera, right. right? You need permission to embrace your debt, right? And so there, you you get thirteenth free. This fourteenth to me represents the Magaji. Doesn't stop you from making anyone live on, right? You know, you have the elders and that that guidance and whatever. And when you do, you do. But if that person can, because you have that other law, where you do, you know, the child, uh, was it the sire rules and the child inherits, right? So that's almost its own self governance. So I found it. I can find find reason all above, including yours. Yours absolutely makes sense too. I just think that there was more of a of a cultural bend to it too. Yeah, right, right. On structure. Uh, yeah, that and that's 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 what I kind of mean by that. Like, there's such a uh, a different sort of. I mean, reading about Africa and reading about like the vampiric state of things in a lot of these cities, like this this can be a very gritty game. Like the, the, that's, that's the thing that I, I really find attractive about this is that done right. There can be such a deep level of horror that you just don't have access to. in like us, like, you know, in Canada or in the United States or really in a lot of ways, even in Europe, like there's so much going on here. That's so much older than anything that we know. And, um, also, you know, you have, that influence of very old cultures in a lot of very new cities. And they talk about the corruption and like how, you know, you might have cities where there's, you know, skyscrapers and one side you have the police that belong to one tribe and the other side you have the military that belong to another tribe and just like all the different things that can happen here. Um, it's what they, uh, it's well to reinforce that they're pointing out the fact that, you know, Africa is, is now coming into the race right? Uh, with technology realizing its own value and discovering and people are rushing to get the resources they have if they're not using it themselves. Right. And they're trying to become a united self-governing group, but you're really not going to have it here. Right. Because that idea is uh, not only is it very new and raw, people are just new to getting common things we take for granted all the time. Right. You know, a city with running water is huge over there. Oh, yeah. You yeah. Know, yeah. Right out the tap. You kidding me? Fantastic. And that's not knocking it at all. It's just that it's, it's an old continent with, with its tribal. It's a different society entirely. Right. You know, and that's that's going to shape it. But what's interesting is to take the Liban habit, like that very phrase, they're calcified. They don't get low humanity. They just get set in their ways. You know, instead of dealing with an elder who's like, you know, eating babies for snack time, you know, <laughs> right, right. You, have, you have that calcified elder who is still waiting for, for the, the hunter to come. And bring in his fair share of the kill. And they're like, well, no, Elder, now you order it on the menu. What is this menu? I do not care for your menu. I will go sit in the cave and you will bring me what I am due. Right. And 
someone somewhere, the young, have to take care of that old guy. Except he's immortal. I mean, that's an interesting concept. Right. Right. Well, um, we in chapter three, and oh, we kind of talked about this a little bit. Um, you know, we we have not a completely different character creation process, but distinctly different enough, you know, including some additional new backgrounds. Um, and then these, these, uh, these traits, these, um, Oren and, and I, or Oren and a, however you want to pronounce them. Um, you know, we, we've already talked about that. So that's, that's, uh, that's distinctly different. Like that's, there isn't anything that I can think of in, like standard vampire, the masquerade that relates to that. And, uh, um, I think that, um, having a distinctly different philosophical and, um, like something different than your standard humanity, I definitely appreciate because, um, you know, it, it, it further separates these, um, the ebony kingdom from the, the kindred. Uh, but also we get into a bunch of merits and flaws and, uh, you know, backgrounds, of course, again, like I said, uh, uh, some new ones, some different ones. And then we get into the disciplines and, um, you know, they first present disciplines in a way that um, they show us. There's a lot of disciplines that are very similar and they go into some of the the minor differences of them. Um, but, they go deep. Yeah. They go deep. There's some minor and some are major. Right. Right. You get a toe in that, you know, like, like minor ones, animalism, animalism is like, you know, but the names are different. Right. It's based on how they use it. Right. Right. Absolutely. You know? And, uh, so the, like one of the names is ride the beast. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, and sense of assume the spirit, you know, that's just a taste, but I mean, it's an example. And the different name is also how they learn it. You know, that's, that's more of a mentorship here than a fit foe, a method or a figure it out method. Um, chimeristry is another interesting thing. It's a cultural difference. Shamir Street to the Ravno, it's illusion, right? It's all illusion and mischief and misdirection. To the Kinyanyi, who have Shamir Street, it is actually their magic. It is their sorcery. And all the live on seed as such, and the Kinyanyi, of course, allow it to be that way and forward it on because it aids in what? Not at being disbelieved. They believe what they see is real and is there, right. which does make them powerful. But it still obeys the same rules as, you know, aspects, Chimerishi and all that. It's just the difference in it. So for those players who are frustrated that, man, everybody's going to know, throw up Ostrich to see through it, it actually won't happen. Not the Kinyani, not here in the Ebony Kingdoms. They don't believe in that. What they see is there because they could see it, they could taste it, they could hear it, they could touch it. They believe in the senses. You know, disbelief is not inherent to them. Um, or, uh, excuse me, um, distrust is not inherent. Um, aspects is massively different. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, like level for level different. I mean, they have two, they have two powers, right? I mean, when I say massively different, your standards are there, but they aggressively have different secondary effects and how they're utilized. Cause to them, auspix is the ancestors granting them power and insight and wisdom. So making stuff easy to do is by uttering a prayer to an ancestor. Or if you're Christian, you can say, you say a prayer period. And then boosted. And, and, and interestingly, they point out uh, Samuel. Samuel is the one that they normally call out for aspects of, of the Christian faith. And there's some insight to that later on. But the cool thing about aspects I like the most is level five. And, I, and to let you know how distinctly different it is. Level five, sure, you can actually project, but they don't call it that. Right. What they call is that they are taking their spirit 
and they're moving to the spirit realm. So much so that if they succeed really well, they take their body with them and they can actually basically sidestep. If you're, if you're familiar with werewolf, go to the different umbral planes, go to different mage realms. They can take themselves and go there with that power, which is groundbreaking for anything that vampires normally are able to do. Right, right. That's uh, it's definitely a distinctly different. Like you, you still can you know use the the astral projection in the same way that you used it in os with aspects, but this it's a little bit different and allows you sort of a deeper access to places you wouldn't necessarily have access to. And above and including, uh, they even throw a little combo power. There's dominate in here too, but it's not dominate. Their telepathy because it is a. Uh, an, an elder's right, an ancient ancestor's right to know your heart, to know the heart of the people. That's how they view reading each other's minds. It's something they should be able to do. Here's an interesting kick. They can also implant a thought that you'll just obey because you think it's yours, one way or another. Right. So, so I mean, it's a very more po- it's a potent power. Right. Unto its own right. Um, so also we get um, some different. Uh, different disciplines uh, that like ones that I've not seen in, in previous books um, or at least not to my immediate recollection. The first one being a bomb way. Um, that's, that's specific to this book. As far as I know, um, I'm sure if I'm wrong, someone will tell me, but uh, as far as I know, this is specific to this book for the first time. Um, but this was, it was a discipline in dark ages too, wasn't it? Right, which is why this isn't uh, this isn't the first, but this they even say this is the best. Right, I tell you here in this, it's the best version. When I say first, and, and I, I to qualify as we always try to do. When I say first, I mean like first Vampire the Masquerade book. Like, yeah, you know, it's probably printed somewhere else first that wasn't Vampire, but we like to assume you're you're all just playing Vampire, right? That's <laughs> that's always been my default. Like the Dark Ages is still vampire, bro. Just pointing. Well, no, I I, I, I just I mean from like the perspective of a line, right? Like Vampire right. the Masquerade and Vampire Dark Ages are technically different. So you know, first first reference in a modern day vampire book. We'll just put it that way. And, Fair enough. And and even that's probably wrong, but whatever. I don't care. I'm over I actually it. think you're, I actually think you're right on that, but that's all right. Uh, either way, um, this is the best one, right? <laughs> Um, another that we have here, which isn't the first, they come right out and tell you that, uh, is, uh, Duranki, uh, or Durankai, depending on how you pronounce it. Um, that's available in a couple of other different books, but this one gives you some additional information. It's kind of like meant to be complete, you know, completely, uh, covered in this book. Um, additionally, beyond that, there is the Necromancy Path of Abombo. That's new. Yeah. I, uh, admittedly, when I saw that, I was like, I remember glancing through this section when I first bought the book after getting, because I assumed disciplines are disciplines. Right. So I was like, yeah, great. You know, Duranki, that's in that book. They just released. We're good. Move on. That when I started reading it, I was like, oh, that's quite different. <laughs> when you get to it and actually slow down, and actually review it, it's like, oh, okay. Gotcha. I should have paid attention. Right. Uh, also, then at the end, they have uh, some uh, vicissitude in here. Um, possessed by the Naglopers, and yeah, some some little differences here too. Um, first and foremost, I really, <laughs> I really enjoy the picture that's right below it with with Puddle Man. <laughs> right, 
I don't know. I don't know why I find that stuff so so interesting. It's so entertaining. Um, but I like their their sort of different uh, approach or different different level of powers um, for this this discipline. And uh, yeah, then there's some African hedge magic, um, which I I believe um, hedge magic is specifically for mortals. That's correct, right? Uh, not necessarily. Hedge magic's there. <clears throat> Doesn't necessarily say that you have to be a mortal to use it. Hmm. Just they have it. It's like, but it, there is. Why would you? There is stronger. Just depends. Like anything, I think that's a storyteller heads up um, for a lot of reasons, right? There's uh-huh. so many other ways you can do it. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I will say, go ahead. did you catch the reference in there? Which reference? It, it annoyed me when I saw it. it ties the Beckett's Jihad diary. Oh, the Inyanga? I was laughing. I was laughing and laughing and laughing that uh, they just use that whole name for what it is, right? Right. So they, they call it a local naturopath, which basically means it's uh, it's typically a guy. It's their medicine man, but they right. see it as that being not necessarily not medicine man is and go to the shaman. Medicine man is like literally go to like a herbologist, right? Who's going to show you what he has, and then he might use magic if that's what it takes, if that's what it's there, but that's what he does, and. It's interesting because uh, you would use them on your uh, your advisory council as well. It says it could be a part of your primogeniture, uh, which is the council, right? right. And I laugh because Inyaga does both, right? Right. That we know over there. <laughs> she's yeah, she's uh, primogen and uh, yeah. Anyways, um, yeah, that's a little little interesting tidbit. But uh, um, I mean, we only have to go so far as a popular video game to find someone that... Uh, is of the legacies, right? I'm not going to go too deep into that, but I think you know who I'm talking about. Yes. Yeah. So anyways, powers. Um, There's a lot of differences and there's a lot of additional things that don't exist in the Western culture. And um, it's definitely worth a read to, to get. Yeah. I mean, you know, if, if you, if you package one of these legacies and you just sort of present them in the same way that you present a Western vampire, uh, I mean, you're, you're really doing the game and like the, the setting a disservice, right? Like you're, you're not doing it any benefit by just playing it exactly the same. So it makes sense why they would make those changes. I mean, um, it shows to me that at least culturally geography can definitely have, an effect on how a vampire develops their powers. And I think it goes a long way to show that, you know, the, the, the common way that we all just present disciplines, they don't need to necessarily be that way. You can play around with them a little bit. Right. And that's, that's to our benefit, right? Right. The, the difference, you don't want to buy a book and then just be the same old thing you could have figured out on your own. Like to me, a book that's going to be of a different area has to help you understand the culture you yourself didn't research, you know, didn't dive into. And from the perspective of vampire, this does both. And that's the, that's the, not only our benefit, that's the, the benefit of the players as well who want to portray them. Right. Because the culture here, if you get nothing else from this book, it's understanding heaven and earth because that's everything to how to portray them different and feel different. And then, of course, the powers help that and everything else you want to, that we've already talked about. Right. But those are the two. The other aspect of this book I enjoy is that it actually puts last what you would expect first. And that's where it talks to you about like the world 
world issues like disease, how the AIDS affects the area, family ties and what they mean, Liban motivation and outlook. Right. They wanted to sell the book first by putting what could draw you in. And to me, they did it well. Right. You know, to hear you're curious, here's the points, here's some high points, but now let's get into the mature aspect and the pitfalls and then the storytelling tips of how to portray that. That's where you want to get all that done and in. And that's that's exactly what I feel this book did what it intended to do. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, I really appreciate um, all of the additional information um, that they put into geography. And like, I feel that someone who lives in the United States who doesn't know a lot about the, you know, African continent, like this is a really great resource for me to look through here and then also go do exploration on my own. You know, like this is something where I've always said this about vampire, you know, as someone who I didn't get a lot of personal education in school, I didn't, you know, I'm, I'm motivated by what interests me in the now. Right. And so when I open up one of these books and I start reading, all I want to do is I want to know more, right? I want to create a more realistic or a more dynamic world for my players. And I think that this does an excellent job of, of really, like getting me as a storyteller involved in what's going on in this world to then go dig deeper into the actual world to get more information. And then of course, beyond that, we have um, the the storytelling chapter, right? And I think they always kind of play hand in hand. And I've, I've always felt like, you know, as a, as a storyteller, it's one of the the sections that for me is the least necessary. And I don't know if you agree or disagree on this, Bob, but like, but I see how it benefits other people who maybe aren't as like internally driven to their creativity. What's weird about the storytelling sections. I always read them. Right, right, I never really yeah. feel I needed them, but I always read them because that's probably because why I don't feel I need to is because I've read enough of them. Right. Whenever that comes up, I get an idea of how to portray and use it. If you get all the content, you don't need the blueprint or the how-to. Right. You know, that's exactly how it is. Right, right. But um, for something like this, just like uh, Kindred East is going to have that in common too. Oh, I'm going to read it because I've not <laughs> I've not delivered this material. You know, so I'm going to get right. an idea of what they suggest because you don't want to get a cultural faux pas messed up or anything like that. Oh, yeah, of course. And uh, since you already know that, though, it will be a fast section. And I did read it again, and it did leave me feeling like, oh, I knew that. Okay, cool. You know, I didn't miss that. All right, cool. But it does <laughs> does highlight important steps, right? Right. Like mentorship's different. Your typical Western mentorship is what you can do for me. Right. You know, as long as we're good and you're a good pawn, I'm a good teacher, we'll be fine until one of us is unhappy here. It's like, you know, be sure to remember that for them, that mentorship is had from their very birth. Right. And their community on to when they're embraced as Liban. They're going to have it. So that background, sure, you can get it. But it just which elder do you owe more you, who you're sweet on or who's sweet on you? Uh-huh. In a way. Right. Well, this when you go into the the storytelling section, one of the first things that they have in here and this I I I love, I think it, it it's going to make everybody crack up when they read it. And you know, it just it talks about names. And this has always been an issue for me, right? It's been like, all right, I got game in about 40 minutes. I better go get a list of names because there's nothing worse than being in this situation. This is nothing ruins a player's suspension of disbelief faster than running into a witch doctor named Frank or a cab driver in Kinsasha named Kate. 
Let's be honest, though. Most of us probably can't just generate all that many authentic African names off the top of our heads. Now, we have to remember, too, when this came out, like this little blurb here, it's got a list. It's got like actual websites you can go to. Like most of us now, when we run a game, we probably have like an iPad or our phone or some tablet or a laptop or computer in front of us, right? That's something that we have. But at the time when this came out, that wasn't. But they're like, hey, get an encyclopedia, you know, go write down a list of names, go, you know, go find some of these websites. That's a really great thing for a storyteller to do, right? It's just a small minor thing because like when we storytell, we we really don't ever know where our players are going to go, right? We don't know who's going to be important to our players. We know who's important to us. You know, how many times, Bob, have you been in a situation where you're like, yeah, you're you're in the Jewel Osco getting duct tape or whatever. And they're like, I got to talk to that cashier. And you're like, it's fucking nobody. Right. <laughs> but your players are like, no, 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 no. Something about the way that you role play that character. I got to talk to him. I got to know everything about him. And you're like, he's Steve. The the And you're like, why do I have to invent Steve now? But it's true. Like, we all have to invent Steve. And unfortunately, Steve doesn't live everywhere. Sometimes you have to create, you have to create the world that you're, you're storytelling out of, not just like be lazy and, and just throw the name Steve into wherever you go. Not to focus too much, but that's issue with Steve. Right. But, but that's right. But that's, that's, those are those storytelling. Those are those small little strategies that you can use because what are we really trying to do here? Like when you run a game, out of the Ebony Kingdom, Bob, what are you trying to do? You're trying to portray the Ebony Kingdom. Right. That's that's first and foremost. And you have to have an idea of what that world is before you can run with that world. And one of the greatest tips to give you out of here, focus on one area, not the whole continent. Right. Where's your game? Look that area up. Decide what's there. You know, get used to explaining what goes on there. Even if you're going to go so far as to make it up, consistency right right if you're gonna pull out of thin air be consistent that's the goal because that way it seems normal it could be completely wrong in someone else's book or even online but it doesn't matter as long as you're consistent with your game and how you portray it to everyone else right well and uh i mean that's uh that's that's pretty much it for the storytelling section i mean obviously you want to read that but i love how it just says why are you still reading when you have so many stories to tell i mean <laughs> Think about it like this. Most of us listening to this probably don't live on the African continent. So it's like one of the last places where we can really explore from from a, an imagination perspective where people are going to be less likely to be like, I, that's not how that neighborhood is, right? Like you can build that neighborhood however you want it to be because it's not somewhere we can readily access with our imagination for, for most of us. Like that, obviously that's just a general statement, but um, to me, like I read through this and all I want to do is like run a game or play in a game that's being run out of it. Like this just really, I think it's very cool. I, I think it's very well done. And um, I think it's a, it's a definite sleeper in the vampire, the masquerade uh, line. And there's no doubt. And I, I don't mean it to be that simple. It's this book. I knew starting it uh, was going to be interesting to discuss because I like fresh. I like new. Right. And this is not a new book. Don't let me give you that impression. But it's fresh as in no one's tapped this well. Right. It's never been done. I've never heard of a game being ran in Ebony Kingdom. I've never heard of anybody trying to play an Ebony Kingdom game. 
I, I bought the book with the anticipation of running it, but saw a bunch of Western friends like, eh, nah, I like what I know. Right, right. I could, I, I couldn't pay people to play in that game. So I was like, oh, okay, I guess I read it, and I'll just put it on the shelf and creative NPC someday. Right. And that's and that's that. But reading it, everyone listening, I'm hoping that broadens ideas because uh, this is done well. This yeah. is done well, in my opinion. I mean, I, I can say for me. Um... I, I just never thought to pick it up, right? I just was like, oh, there's that book, but, you know, I, I'll get to it someday. We I think a lot of us have that habit where they're like, yeah, I'm going to read this book and I'm going to, you know, know it and integrate it. And you just put it to the side and you never pick it up. And then, um, you know, you start a podcast and you have to. You have to. <laughs> Not everybody does that. But uh, um, so, yeah, there's a little bit more in this book, too. But, um, you know, it talks about... Uh, some of the minor legacies and clans in the back, um, like the oh, mount. they're they're not minor. Well, that's what it's called. <laughs> they're not minor. Right. I just want to point out this is legacies and clans, sir, <laughs> and they're minor from maybe the Ebony Kingdom perspective. Right, right, right. But you know some you know some names off the bat. Malkavians are here, right? We got them. They're what? They're Malkavians. <laughs> they could be here for any number of reasons, but there are not many. Right. Truth hold, right? And it's important to note they're not legacies, right? Malkavians right. aren't. Right. The others are. Um, well, the other one I want to mention too, and I've been waiting for this, I can't wait anymore, yeah. is the Venture and how correct I was. But I was telling you that they're, they're all big game hunters. <laughs> Every one of them. Folks, they are. This book tells you eight ways from Sunday, they, they come here on Safari. Right, right. In whatever capacity that is, whether that is they're here to buy up new land because they're going to get the new diamonds out of there. Or they're going to get the oil that was discovered. They're here to come to unconquered land that they call the Dark Continent, and they're going to seize it. Of which the rest of the Venture Clan consider them uh, pointless. They're going to go great. You're on vacation then, right? No, sir. You don't see the greatness. I tamed the Dark Continent. Yeah, of course you do. <laughs> You're over there now. It's it cracked me up to read it. It's very it's very entertaining, but it, it certainly makes the fucking Venture look comical. The guy is so good. It's like Quartermain. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, absolutely. That's that's spot on. Um, yeah, that's Kindred of the Ebony Kingdom. Not to be confused with Kindred of the East, because it's not the same thing, folks. Not at all. So don't make that mistake. Don't don't make that mistake. Um, Kindred of the Ebony Kingdom. Okay. I hope you all enjoyed it. Bob, I know you do. Yes. So, we will not have a podcast next week. Next week, we are going to be reading a whole lot <laughs> yeah like four books yeah one yeah the, one of the, the biggest book yeah we're we're reading a full-on new version and uh more so i think than any other book thus far um whereas with beckett's jihad diary we we had to just sort of absorb story here we're going to be absorbing a whole new set of rules a whole new set of uh you know figuring out how to play but also did you did you decide if we're gonna do when we do the the play test? We're not gonna release it before we can. No, are no, we no, gonna no, no, do no. the play test live? Look, I I don't know what we're gonna do with that because also on the back end here, you know, we're all we're in the process of like getting some equipment updated and all that yeah. stuff. So I don't really know what exactly we're gonna do with that. Um, people seem to really enjoy the play test thing. Um, I don't I don't know. Uh, I guess we'll see. You know. If, if it's, if it's feasible and we can, why not? You know, if, if nothing else, we'll at least release it to, um, our Patreon backers, um, and kind of go from there. I never, 
maybe I'm showing my old age here, but I never really understood the live play thing. Like I kind of get the podcast thing because I like old timey radio, but I do. If you understand it from the perspective of if you have people you like yeah. and you wanted to play a game with them and or you would like to hear how they do it when they're they're in it. Right. Right. It's one thing to say we're good and awesome. We have time to read and research and do whatever. Right. It's another thing to sit side by side and watch us do it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And, and they're with sure. it. But if you couldn't do that to observe and listen is even better. Yeah. Right? It's a good alternative. Yeah. I, I mean, I, um, I will, I'll just say this with the, like the actual play stuff. It's not our prime, uh, directive. It's not like our primary goal to do that, but if it's feasible and we can do it and people are interested in seeing it, sure. Uh, you know, I don't see why we wouldn't do it, you know, give the people what they want. Um, but it's, um, I think first and foremost, our main concern is reading and yes. digesting and then reviewing. And then we'll go from there with the rest of the stuff, you know, give, give first what we're, what we're here for <laughs> and then give extras. Right? No, I completely disagree. Yeah. But we'll do, we'll do what we need to. We'll do what we need to. Right. Right. Well, um, uh, yeah, I guess that's it. So if you guys have any questions, we're, we'll still be available for, you know, suggestions and, and questions, um, and, and the rest on all the normal channels, discord, and twitter and facebook uh we just won't have anything next week and the week after that we'll have two two things so that should be pretty awesome fantastic all right uh anything else bob no that is that's everything let's put the goddamn lid on this podcast um until two weeks for v5 i'm nathan and i'm bob and we will talk to you again very soon 20 years have passed since a tragic fire at an illegal rave killed over a hundred people outside Austin, Texas. But is that all that happened on the night in question? Experience the horror of Vampire the Masquerade like never before. Jackalope LARP and White Wolf present a blockbuster LARP horror event. The night in question, November 17th, 2018, Austin, Texas. Jackalope-LARP.com for tickets and information. Where will you be on the night in question?